We ready. It's going now. It's going. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Beard Songs and Theology. We're so glad that you're here. We're glad to be back. This episode is sponsored by Blistex. You can pick up your Blistex at your local Walgreens. If you mention this podcast, they will give you zero cents off. That's right. You can buy one for the same price. Actually, speaking of sponsors, the weekly podcast is about to pick up its first sponsor. No way. Yeah. Who's yes that? way. You ought to you ought to listen to the podcast oh. to find out. I'm working on it right now though. Okay. But it's a local a local place that's going to be my first sponsor. That's big news. Yeah. Yeah. Man. So if you're listening right now, uh, subscribe to Weekly, and you can hear on the next episode. This episode of Weekly is brought to you by this place in Blistex. Kingsport. Yeah. I'm working. <laughs> Blistex is next. <laughs> But I'm I'm super pumped. Like I have a legit sponsor for weekly. That's awesome. Sweet. We tried to get for the love of Suds to be our sponsor, and they wouldn't do it. And now and, they're going out. Of business. And now they're going out. So if you want to stay in business, we tried to help you. We'll do what we can. We got you know major clout. You have no one to blame but yourself. <laughs> That's right. Well, we're very excited that you're back, and we're glad to be here with you once again. And Been a little uh, while. Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks. It's been a little crazy. Um, yeah, but now now some things are are done. Like impact. Impact is over with. It happened. And why don't you uh, tell the audience your uh, your perspective of what happened there? Okay. Yeah. Well, so impact. I thought impact was pretty awesome. We had a great time. I think there was like over seven hundred students. Um. I I thought from a production standpoint, an audio standpoint, and all that stuff, everything went really well. And I didn't mess up too bad. <laughs> Nobody gave me weird looks. Nobody from any of the, the bands or their road managers yelled at me. That's always a good thing. I'll take that. Like, Tripoli's road manager was, and he, like, takes care of all of his stuff. And he was sitting there the whole concert, like, listening. And so I'm like really nervous. And afterwards he comes up and tells some of the staff at Tri-Cities, he's like, sounded great. We were, we were very pleased. I was like, good deal. <sighs> you just produced your first rap show. I did produce a rap show and it was pretty fun. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it was wild, but. Did you do it for Manolo? I did. Did it for Manolo. It was fun. Had your ammo locked and loaded. That's right. <laughs> That's a Tripoli song in case you don't know what we're talking about. I did have to learn a lot of Tripley's music before the event to feel familiar with what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was very talented, but honestly, like his, his message was maybe better than his singing. Like, his well, he preaching. is a pastor. So. Yeah. He's a, he's a legitimately great, um, like pastor, like his message was good as a, you know, as a speaker, as a communicator, but like you could tell that he has a heart for the local church. Yep. And it's pretty cool. I was impressed with Tripoli. So I'm a big fan of one one six. Yeah. All those guys are solid. Yeah. It's cool stuff. And it he seemed very uh genuine and authentic in like a, a real way. Like he actually believes the stuff that he was talking about and rapping about and singing about. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just gimmicky. That's what I wonder sometimes with with artists like that who are very talented. Like, do you believe this stuff? Or are you just doing this to be a rapper in the Christian market? Because we need those, you know? Yeah. But it was legit. And Aaron Keys and 10,000 Fathers were there. And 
amazing. Aaron's one of my favorite worship leaders. And I got to hang out with him, which was like crazy. And I got to talk to him about the first time that I met him at this random Catalyst event and all this kind of stuff. So it was very cool. That is cool. He is he is actually a huge influence on my worship leading and how I view, like even view that. And so to be able to interact with him and talk to him and yeah. I've never really listened to them much, but after seeing them, I can see his influence on you. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good influence. Yeah. I, good. That's good. I'll take it. Um, I just like how he, how um, like shepherding and humble he is as a worship leader and mm-hmm. how it's not about him and the performance. But at the same time, it's also really great. You know, like he, to me, walks that line of creating good art and good music, and but also leading people well mm-hmm. in that. It's not just like, check out this cool performance and it's going to blow your mind with awesomeness. Like, that's not bad, right? That can be impactful. God can use that. But his heart is for people to be engaged with worship and with what that means beyond just someone who's standing and singing. Like, it's it's more than that. It felt intentional. Yeah. I think, like, with the style that he has, you run the risk of, you know, maybe talking too much or talking too little and like you don't want to get in the way of things. Right. And what he did so well was interject things that he needed to interject. They were truth. It wasn't a bunch of fluff. Yeah. Everything flowed together and it was pointing you to the throne. It wasn't, it wasn't just stuff. Yeah. Like, and now we're, and now I talk while someone tunes their guitar, you know? Yeah. And he, his knowledge of scripture and of the Bible is incredible and his ability to actually quote those verses and not just say, now the Bible talks about this idea. Not that that's wrong to, to comment like that, but I mean, he's like in Zephaniah, it says, you know, in Psalm 17, in this verse specifically, here's what it says. And so that's always been a huge influence on me because when I was in college, I think I was more in the, in the world of just get up and sing and lead people well and, you know, pick good songs and let God do his thing. And that worked in the context that I was in because I was at a Christian school with a bunch of college people who liked singing. Mm -hmm. They didn't need to be directed and shepherded and led. They just needed a place to come and worship. Like they were ready. (laughs) They walked in ready. They already knew all the songs. Like um, one of the years while we were in college, our God from Chris Tomlin came out at Passion and I played it the Thursday after Passion off of some terrible video on YouTube I found, you know, mm-hmm. and everyone knew it. Like it wasn't even out. Nobody, it didn't even have a name <laughs> and everybody knew it. You know, like that's the culture that I sort of grew in in college and leading worship. And then to come and lead for normal people of a variety of ages and experience and ability and influence you have to lead them well. You have to show them where you're going and what you're doing and sort of open that up to them. And Aaron has been a huge influence for me and for hundreds of worship leaders through his worship school and all the stuff he puts out online to do that. Yep. So, and his, his comment is the world doesn't need another worship leader. It doesn't need another musician. It doesn't need another songwriter. Really? What, the church needs what people need is a pastor, a shepherd, yep. a leader. And so you can do that with music. And that's what I try to do every Sunday 
is to lead people well, not just to play cool stuff and blow their faces with music. It's to lead them in worship and to give them something to take with them. So I try not to pull any punches. Like, hey, here's why we're singing this song. This is why I think this is important. And yeah, so he's been a huge influence on me. And it was kind of crazy and surreal to think that I got to mix for him. Yeah. Well, I thought you did a good job for what it was worth. Well, thanks. There weren't a lot of glitches. Yeah. It was pretty pretty minor on the glitch side, but that's because I spent a lot of time whew, sitting behind that console before yeah. it started, <laughs> while it was happening, in between every session, doing virtual sound check, pulling up show files, like mm-hmm. working it. But it paid off, so it was fun. That was the biggest, like that was the biggest, most detailed thing that I've ever done. Like I've done things like that for one band, you know, for one weekend to get everything set. But to do four groups in 24 hours was, was wild. So, but yeah, impact was awesome. I'm, I'm excited about where we could go in the future and excited to see how it keeps growing. There you go. Cool deal. Yeah. Let's talk about beards. Beards. How's your beard going? It's growing, man. It's it's coming back. It's back. It, I don't look like a baby face anymore. <laughs> after your after your beard accident, my second mishap. Yeah, the first one was was sad. The second one was like, oh, it was what? Bad. <laughs> it was bad. I looked like I did in high school. You did. It was not good. It was like a flashback. Yeah, not a good one though. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's growing back. That's good. Slowly but surely, I got this weird cowlick thing on my right side now. It's back. It's like the weird in-between stage. If it's short enough, it doesn't show, and if it's long enough, it doesn't show. Mm. But in this middle section, it makes me look like I've just slept on my beard. Yeah. And it looks really bad. So you just got to keep keep on keeping on. Just got to let it go. Persevere. That's right. Have Don't. you trimmed your beard? Nope. No trim. It's getting pretty long too. Like, it's getting legit. Yeah. People have started being like, "Oh, your beard's getting long." Finally. <laughs> it's amazing to me how how long you've grown your beard and how your hair's so curly. I know. Like it does. It to me, it looks exactly the same. It doesn't yeah. look like it's getting longer. It, like honestly, unless I get out of the shower and like brush it out and like pull it down, then you can't tell. And if you pulled one of my beard hairs out, it just is like a spiral. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, it makes it thick at least. Yeah. So it really doesn't look that different. So I'm just going to keep letting it grow. <laughs> like it just keeps getting like a better version of itself. Yeah. It's not really going to maybe ever transform into like a super long beard. It's just going to get really full. I guess. I don't know. That's where we're at. Are you using any oil or balm or anything? Uh, yeah. You know, I finished the beard oil that you got me for Christmas from the former For the Love Suds <laughs> last batch. Yeah. It was good. And then I went back to um, the Foul Anchor and got some of the Arcadia yeah. beard balm. And I really like theirs. I like the consistency of it. It's it's a beard balm, but it has lots of oil in it too. So it's still, it's not dry. You know, some of the balms are kind of, pasty yeah i don't like that so i like the balms that as soon as you get it out it turns an oil almost immediately yeah that's kind of how this one is so i dig it it's working good 
So cool deal. Well, just keep rolling with the beard, man. It's magic. You just don't shave and they keep growing. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. Uh, today is the 15th. Yeah. Um, so whenever you get this podcast, um, you can go back to the 15th. Remember this day, Tiger Brooks, Brooks shaved his beard today. <sighs> Tiger. It's uh, like. He has a goatee. Like, oh. Yeah. Like bye-bye beard. Bye-bye beard. Whoa. I'm not happy about it. Tiger. I'm a, I'm kind of in a state of shock and mourning for him. I mean, he's like a beard legend. He has such a good beard. He has a great beard. If I could have a beard like his, I would never touch it ever. Yeah. I just, just, just let it go. Yeah. Just let it be. It's it's like its own persona. Yeah. It could have its own Twitter, his own Instagram. Next Tiger's year. beard. I think he starts in what, like September? Oh, yeah, that's right. So next September, he'll, he'll need to make a Twitter for his beard. Let's make one for it and just take pictures of him without a satirical, him. <laughs> a satirical beard account. Awesome. That's what we're here for. The Baptist beard. <laughs> we can put quotes around it, make memes about it. All right. The Baptist happening. beard and deflector, something like that. <laughs> That's good. If you're this if, month, David Platt apologizes to Beard. <laughs> it is the best beard he's ever seen. Oh man! If you don't, if you don't know about Baptist life, that's not funny. But if you do, we hope you enjoyed that. There's a sliver of our audience that will enjoy that. So, like, what a third of a person? I don't know. <laughs> you're out there, though. We know you're out there. Well, let's talk about. This isn't necessarily like theology only, but it's culture, thought process. Everything's theology in one way or another. That's right. Exactly. There's nothing secular. That's right. Everything is spiritual. Your life is is a life of, you know, spirituality. So on weekly, if you haven't listened to this episode's uh, weekly podcast, which is called To Tweet or Not to Tweet, which I thought was a good title. I was pretty proud of that. It was pretty good. Um. I talk about um, a couple stories and mainly one about a lady who tweets something inappropriate, gets on an airplane, and by the time she lands, she does not have a job and thousands of people have screamed at her on Twitter. It was inappropriate and stupid. It was it was dumb. Yeah. Very dumb what she said. And it was, yeah. But she gets destroyed for it. And that happens a lot. That's happened mm-hmm. many times over the last 10 years. So... What we want to talk about today is, like, what do we think about that? Hashtag outrage culture. Yeah. That's what I think about it. Yeah. You know, there was, it it makes me think of this story of a guy that was on the Clemson football team. And I can't remember his name, but like, apparently before every game, during the um, national anthem, when there's like 30 seconds left, he takes a knee and he prays. And when it's over, he stands back up. He's been doing that his entire football career. But people took a picture of it, started tweeting about it, and was saying, oh, this guy is, you know, is doing this in kind of the spirit of like what Colin Kaepernick was doing and some other players and stuff like that. And Was this before or after Kaepernick? This was after. After. That people noticed it. But he'd okay. been doing it for the last six years. No, but it, yeah, he'd been doing it before Kaepernick. Okay. He was a player? Yeah. Okay. So he'd been doing it since high school. 
Okay, gotcha. But, but nobody noticed it until after all the stuff happened with Colin Kaepernick. And people started just like railing on him. Like, dude, you've got no respect, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, because they were mad at what Colin Kaepernick was doing. And regardless of how you feel about that, this guy wasn't doing that at all. And like, it had nothing to do with that until you saw one screen grab that someone mm-hmm. tweeted and then retweeted, retweet, you know, and pretty soon everyone's outraged at Clemson football for something that has nothing to do with any other kind of protest. Right. And so the guy comes out and, you know, it's like, I, I do this every single game. Like you can go back and watch film since I was in high school, but everyone's outraged, but they have no idea why, but they are raging. <laughs> and I think that's a telling story of outrage culture. Like, yep. So yeah. we're a culture that supposedly values free speech. But then when it comes to something that offends us, we rage. Yeah. It's true. So I think the disconnect there is we don't see the we don't see how those two things are opposed to each other. We say we're for free speech, but then when something offends us, we want to shut it down. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you like? There's some irony there. Mm-hmm. There's some. There's a lack of understanding. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know how to fix that. <laughs> Everyone is for liberty until someone else's liberty offends you. Yeah. Right. And then you need to legislate against it. <laughs> yeah. Which works until. It's then back to you <laughs> until that happens to you, like right. the level at which you want to legislate um, your thought or morality or whatever will also come back to bite you in the, in the end at some yep. point when it's your turn. Yep. So, yeah, we like to be mad, but we like to be free, which you can be upset and be free. That's mm-hmm. that's a that's part of the beauty of living in America and the First Amendment and all that kind of stuff. But there has to be some pause, <laughs> some consideration. Well, the good thing is the First Amendment protects you from, you know, being criminal criminalized because of saying something. Right. The bad thing is it doesn't protect you necessarily civilly. Like it doesn't protect your right to a job. Yeah. If you say something stupid, I guess the question is: Is that right? You know, if our, if our Constitution says that we believe that all men have the right to pursue happiness, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, yeah, are we stripping people that have right for things that are saying they are saying that we don't agree with? And is that okay? Yeah, and you know, here's another thing that I thought about this um, yesterday when we were talking about this conversation, like 15 years ago, 20 years ago everyone thought the same things they do now and probably said them except you didn't say them on Twitter. (laughs) You said them to your friends or to people in your sort of peer group or social group and you could disagree or not agree or whatever. And the repercussions are small, but you put it through a amplification process of the internet, of social media, of the web where people can like search it. And all of a sudden like, it's huge, right? Not only is it huge and amplified, but it's also cataloged. It's archived. It's archived in the the national record. So, yeah, like they, yeah, like the 
people in Washington literally archive Twitter. Just the only reason I tweet. So, <laughs> so, my so this week everyone's <laughs> all mad because there was a report that speculated. That it, it's not for sure, but they're speculating the CIA has the power or is spying on Americans on American soil using Wi-Fi-enabled devices. Mm-hmm. And everyone's all up in arms about it. But what you fail to realize is every time you press that tweet button and your phone makes that little sound, yeah. that you are literally sending your information straight to the Capitol for it to get stored in the Library of Congress. Yeah, like, so, <laughs> like who cares if they're spying on you and your Wi-Fi? Because you're giving them anything right. they want. You're, you're freely sharing it, you know, so. on Facebook Live while you're yelling about them spying on you. Right. I mean, yeah, they shouldn't spy on you through your Wi-Fi, but there's a point there that, and we're not even sure if they are. But when you're outraged about everything, you're like actually bothered by nothing ultimately. Yep. The longevity of that is extremely short, right? Like scandal, and eh, it's over. I'm outraged about this. I can't believe so-and-so would do this. Eh, that was last week. That was the last news cycle. Yeah. So we're on the afternoon news cycles now. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was morning news. <laughs> I've had a burrito for lunch now and I'm not mad about that scandal. <laughs> I'm not mad about that breaking story. It's true. We are, we as a society, not just me, but sometimes me, I think all of us are capable of this. Don't think critically. And we don't ask the next question. And then the question after that. And then we don't listen to other people. We have a bias. We have a predetermined way of thinking, which everyone does. Everyone lives in biases. You, you wouldn't survive if you didn't have any biases, right? Like it, it keeps you safe. Your instincts keep you safe. You're, the culture that you grew up in is part of who you are. It doesn't have to define you. And you can grow beyond that. But everyone has biases. Hmm. But we act and tweet as if we don't as if we just have ultimate fact and information. But we don't admit that we're biased, and we don't ever question those things. And that's a problem. Yep. It's a short-sightedness, and what I picked on from what you were just saying is it's rooted in our pride. Mm. Like, we believe ourselves to be the ultimate moral authority. Yeah. And you're not. This yeah. isn't your world to save, my man. Mm. So lay off the burritos. Yeah. Which is is freeing when you understand that but it's hard because ego and pride and the and like social media like literally encourages you to do this by likes and retweets mm-hmm. and comments and all the things you can do on Facebook where you like love something or have you know anger about whatever I don't know I don't ever use those things but like Facebook is a competition. (laughs) Instagram is a competition. So the way that it's set up pits you against other people (laughs) to Mm -hmm. say the most shocking thing, to say the most, Mm -hmm. like, I'm just going to tell you how it is, (laughs) and my tribe's going to back me up. Well, YouTube's actually changed its algorithms now to where they're propagating the most outrageous things. Like, the the more outrage that you can propagate, the more um, societal uprising you can get. Uh, that's the video that's going to get pushed. Wow. Um, you know, clickbait is alive and thriving. Yeah. It's not going away anytime soon. Yeah. I'm amazed at how much money people made in 2016 um, 
with fake news, clickbait, ad revenue from fake websites. Unbelievable. There's a story on NPR, and I'll find it and link it in the show notes. I'm just they, about to talk about this. Okay, go for it. <laughs> if we're thinking about the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I are think, you we think are. are. you talking about the one where they talked about Breitbart and how the news organizations are kind of like a solar system? No. No? I was okay. thinking of a different one. Okay, you tell yours. Okay, so I was listening to NPR yesterday, and they were evaluating how we shared news stories via social media. Okay. Okay. And what they found was, over the course of the election, moderate... <laughs> I'm using air quotations. You can't see me. (laughs) Moderate media corporations got shut out by the more extreme um, companies. So your MSNBCs, they kind of take over. Your Breitbarts, they kind of take over. And what happened was they would put out a tweet or a Facebook um, post that had a big headline for the Mm. social media part. So the social media headline may be, Jerry Brown, who's the governor of California, signs bill allowing illegal immigrants to vote. And then you click the link, and it takes you to their website where it says, Jerry Brown signs bill that may allow immigrants to vote in the future. So there's a big difference in that one. Yeah. And then you click on the actual news article, <laughs> and what's actually happened is Jerry Brown um, – re-signed a bill that was already allowed that allows people to register to vote via via their driver's license applications. So something that's not a big deal gets turned into this huge, like, you know, alt-right conspiracy theory. And the left does it too. I'm I'm libertarian. I'm out completely of our political conversation in the past 10 years. So You're just observing. Yeah, I'm just playing along. I'm... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Letting the crowds lead me, man. So, but basically, what they what they found is, as Breitbart and all the other news organizations were doing that, what that did was just kind of you know snuff out normal news. Kind of like, um, you know, if you get so much fire, a fire will go out because it burns all the oxygen. Yeah. So they're snuffing out all the air quotations legitimate news, which is yeah. flawed in itself, and right. then. As they do that, the other news organizations catch on and realize, hey, we're dying. So they start copying. And what happens is if you look at the news organizations as a whole, the media as a whole, as a solar system, these these certain ones like Breitbart grow. And so NPR labeled them on the left and the right. And the farthest one on the right became the biggest, and that was Breitbart. Mm. And what started to happen was Fox... CNN, other places started to revolve. Like it became a sun. Yeah, it, they started wow. to revolve around this other news organization and respond and critique and interact with. Wow. In, in not good words, fake news. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, like it's crazy. Like that's wild, right? Like, okay, so Breitbart is where this President Obama wiretap Trump Towers claim came from from a guy on Breitbart who in just a, like editorial piece said, I don't know, maybe he wiretrapped, you know, like he just threw it out there. Mm-hmm. And so now it's become a thing that, that they want people to investigate whether it happened, but there's literally no factual evidence for it. And the the only place that it came from was from Breitbart from some random dude who shared that. Yep. And now, but now the news, that's all the news wants to talk about. That's an interesting observation. 
And it's like, and so I guess if you're a news company like Fox or, or whoever, you're going to say, well, we don't want to lose ratings and we don't want to lose, you know, our click through rate. So we need to talk about what they're talking about and engage with what they're doing. Hmm. That's pretty good. I mean, it's already been well documented that bad news gets better ratings than good news. Yeah. So now that's transitioning into outrage. Yeah. And as long as we can make you feel a certain way, whether it's good or bad, we just need to get, we just need a visceral reaction and then we have you hooked. Yeah. So there's a quote that people, you know, like to say, which is that misery loves company. And when I was in college and um, one of our psychology professors came, he was a psychology major and I took two or three psychology classes and he said, you've heard it said that misery loves company, but what is actually true is that misery loves miserable company. Mm -hmm. It doesn't just love company. And the idea is that, you know, if you're upset, you want people to listen to you. But really, if you're upset, you want people who are also upset, Mm -hmm. who are miserable to listen to you. And I think that's to me is 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 the news cycle now is the the outrage world that we live in. Outrage loves outrageous things. <laughs> outrage culture loves visceral news. Yep. Not just quick, not just give me the facts, but like I want to I want you to help my confirmation bias. <laughs> and this article you're posting is make like is making me feel something. So now, I, and now you don't even have to read the article, right? And several several sites did this um, a few months ago, where they shared a completely crazy article, and then the article literally said something like, "If you're reading this article, congratulations! Ninety five percent of people who share this won't even read it." And it's, the, it's crazy, right? But the headline was just—I mean, it was something like completely ridiculous and hilarious. But it was like an inside joke because if you read the article, you knew that. It was literally pointing out how easy it was to share something that was fake. It's the blue ink test. Yeah. So. If you're not familiar with the blue ink test, it's where an organization such as the CIA leaks false information to only a certain person or peoples, and then they can identify Uh, if those people are moles. Yeah. So they leak something like, hey, don't tell anybody this, Mm -hmm. or how, you know, you shouldn't know about this. And then other people find out, hmm, there you go. But now that's just normal. That's just news now. <laughs> that's just a Wednesday. Crazy times. Uh, so, yeah. in conclusion, maybe one, think before you post. Yeah. At least read an article before you share it. Yeah. And if you disagree with someone, maybe give them the benefit of the doubt before you, like, you know. Put them through the shredder. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or if you disagree with someone, like do it and actually do that. Be like, hey, can we talk about this? Do it in person. Don't be ridiculous. Oh, gosh. You could you could call them. You could Snapchat back and forth with. <laughs> yeah, man, it's hard. I you can have an argument via GIFs. <laughs> yeah, we'll do this in iMessage. So there you go. Uh, yeah, I don't know, you know. How do we I, how do we get back to civilized conversation? I don't know. I was just talking to my students about this yesterday. Okay. And the main point I was sharing with them is if you want to change a culture or if you want to change something that you're a part of that has a lot of people, 
you have to be the change, right? You you have to do the thing yeah. that you want to see happen. You have to be willing to swim the opposite direction or else everything's just going to keep going the same way. Yeah. It takes a bunch of individuals collectively making a decision to make a big idea go. So That makes sense. And that's easier said than done. Here's a, here's a fun example of that happening. One time I went to see Switchfoot. Switchfoot's probably one of my favorite live shows. I've seen them mm, three or four times. And they were doing, I think it was on the Hello Hurricane album. And so they opened for themselves and they played that whole album. And then they played a second show after that, which was cool. So like, we want to play our whole album, kind of experiment thing. We're going to be the opening act. And so they played the album. Woo, it was awesome. Everybody was cool. And they said, all right, we're going to go take a five minute break. And when we come back, whatever song you guys decide to sing is the one that we'll open with. So figure it out. And in a room with like 1200 people, you know, it was crazy, right? Everyone was singing like 20 or 30 different Switchfoot songs. But one by one, somebody started singing one, and the guy beside him decided to also sing that song. And pretty soon this pocket formed, and you could hear it through the room like a wave literally coming across that people were just picking up on that. And it went from this like cacophony, just awful sound. I mean, imagine a thousand people screaming at the top of their lungs, random things basically. And then literally in a minute and a half, we were all singing meant to live like in unison. Right. And they came out and played it. It was, it was so cool. So it's like, how could we ever decide on a song? How could a thousand people ever pick the same thing? Yeah. One person at a time. Yep. And you know, who, who even knows who started that thing. But by the end we were all, you know, we were together. And I think that's, that's a good thought. Like that's where you go is like, I made it a rule myself in the election season and really leading up to that, but definitely in that time that I wouldn't share any articles that I didn't fact check to some degree as best I could at least look on Snopes or like Google search or PolitiFact or something to see if it has any validity before I shared it because people were sharing crazy stuff and there's, uh, Sometimes you want to because you could get people to comment on it because <laughs> it's a just remember this Facebook wants you to fight with each other. And there are studies that show that Facebook like messes with you and what you see in your newsfeed to run experiments on you. Like if they show you more negative things, will you react more negatively on Facebook? Like there's they do that. So <laughs> don't let them win. Don't let that don't let that overtake you. Don't be overcome by that, but overcome evil with good and with thinking <laughs> for just a minute. Yep. There you go. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Beard Songs and Theology. Hashtag free speech. Hashtag free speech. If you don't like this show, that's okay. <laughs> If you didn't like this episode, please rant about us on Facebook. We would yeah. appreciate the publicity. Yeah, that's right. If you <laughs> make it a media outrage, and yeah. then somebody will notice us. I mean, there's no other podcast called Beard Songs and Theology. We're the only one. We hold the market. We are a monopoly. I don't know how many people actually listen to us, but it's there. We're there. And now enough people... Apparently enough people listen to this podcast and my other podcast that they show up on the like people also listen to nice. and they show up on each other. So we're getting some cross 
you know, connection there. Sweet. So if you haven't subscribed, you can subscribe on iTunes or on SoundCloud or whatever. Do it. Well, all right. We'll see you next time. I don't know when that's going to be. We shouldn't make promises. But we'll see you soon. We're we're trying this year. We really are. we're, We're doing okay. We're doing all right. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. See you later. And as always. Speech on. I'm a beard on. <laughs> beard on. Sorry.